Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. I would come home, family dinner, and my parents would ask me, do you guys just want to be delivery drivers for the rest of your life? (laughs) And not exactly understanding, you know, what is the vision here? You know, we were the first delivery drivers. We were the first warehouse employees. We were the first customer service representatives. What we've been able to build over nine years is this network of 650 fulfillment centers across the U.S. and Europe. We now cover close to 30% of the U.S. population. We didn't do it the Silicon Valley way, we did it the GoPuff way. Lean and scrappy has been part of the ethos of the company. That's Yakir Gola, co-founder and co-CEO of GoPuff, the fast-growing instant delivery company that's expanded to more than a 1,000 cities. As the pandemic shifted habits, instant delivery has become a rising phenomenon, though the area continues to be haunted by the specter of high burn rates and failed efforts. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk to Yakir because GoPuff has taken a dramatically different approach, following lessons he and co-founder Rafael Ilishayev learned from their parents' small businesses. With a consistent eye on positive cash flow and margins, they built a warehouse and logistics operation alongside their software platform. Yakir's experience demonstrates how what we might view as old-fashioned approaches can be rebooted in new realms and with new tools. GoPuff is trying to prove out something daunting. The 20-minute delivery can indeed be good business. Slow and steady, they believe, can win the race, even when what their service itself is providing is fast and on demand. We'll start the show in a moment. After a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision, and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, 
have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Yakir Gola, co-founder and co-CEO of GoPuff. Yakir, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me. So there's been a ton of buzz around delivery-related businesses over the last two years, but you co-founded GoPuff nine years ago when the on-demand economy was in a much earlier stage, like Uber had launched but was far from a household name, Amazon Prime existed but wasn't everywhere yet, and the prevailing tales at that time about on-demand efforts were cautionary from the dot-com bust days, bids like Webvan and Urban Fetch and Cosmo and things like that. How aware of all that were you and your co-founder, Rafael Elishayev, when you began your journey? Were you thinking about what the history was or was there something else that got you into this? We definitely did our research and homework, you know, before starting GoPuff. I think what separates us or what allowed us to even start GoPuff was how we were raised in our backgrounds. Raf and I met just over 10 years ago in college at Drexel University, and both of us hit it off because both of us grew up working with our parents in their small businesses. So my family moved from Israel into the U.S. Raf's family moved from Russia into the U.S. My dad had a small jewelry shop, and I worked with him since I was maybe 12 years old. Raf's family had a banquet hall and a restaurant in Brooklyn. He was a busboy working with his parents. And we saw our parents work really, really hard. They were so customer focused. And obviously when you're a small business owner, you have to make profit, right? That's your salary is how much profit you make. When we were in college and I was driving everyone to the convenience store, I realized there has to be a better way to get convenience products delivered. The only way to make a business model like this work was by controlling the customer experience and having significant margins. We built a business from day one that was cash flow positive. It was important for us to build a business and nail it before scaling it. That is because we saw our parents hard at work. They set a good example for us. And in the beginning, like your parents' businesses were sort of traditional small businesses. Were you thinking that GoPuff was going to be a small business or like right at the beginning, you were like, no, we're starting it as a small business, but we're going to be national. We're going to be global. We had a bigger vision for GoPuff. We definitely didn't think it was just going to stay a small business. Otherwise, I think I would have just took over the family business <laughs> as my dad wanted me to do. We saw a big potential in it. We just saw the excitement and the magic that the customers experience when we just had a hundred products and just focusing on college students nine years ago. But in no sense that I think we were going to get this big. I remember when we were starting up GoPuff, I would come home, family dinner and on Shabbat, sometimes on Friday night. And my parents or my family would ask me, do you guys just want to be delivery drivers for the rest of your life? <laughs> and not exactly understanding, you know, what is the vision here? What is the path to what you guys are building? We were the first delivery drivers. I've done alongside Raf almost 8,000 deliveries ourselves. We were the first warehouse employees. We were the first customer service representatives. So we had to build a business the hard way and the scrappy way, a business that is first and foremost profitable. 
I gotta ask you, where did the name GoPuff come from? The first target customer for us was college students. We were sitting, me, Rav, and three other friends in our house at Drexel, and we had a whiteboard, came up with five names. And immediately everyone just wanted to go puff. Our marketing in the early days was edgy. It's a name that rolls off your tongue. And going from a college-focused company to now over a thousand cities and millions of customers, now less than 10% of our customers are college students. And actually some of the fastest growing categories on GoPuff are products like baby products, household items, grocery items. Our fastest growing demographic is actually ages 30 to 35 right now. So you're, you're now, as you say, in thousand cities across the US, much bigger business. A lot of that acceleration happened during and through the pandemic with lockdowns and other fears, the use of delivery services surged, as did funding. You all raised over a billion dollars last spring. A lot of new competitors joined the category too. How do you think about the stage of the journey that you're in now? It's still not even 10% of grocery convenience items are sold online. And then if you look at the percentage that are being delivered in an instant way, which is where the world is going and what the consumers want. We see the trends in our business. What our service is doing is we're giving people time back in their day. And really that is the most valuable asset that people have. And when you're delivering medicine to someone when they're sick or diapers for a newborn where it's complicated or tough to leave the house, or you just want to watch a movie, you need some popcorn, we're going to save you time. And once you experience instant, you realize how it's actually making your life better and easier. We're in the early innings of people wanting to use instant. I still think we're very much in the early days. That's the mentality that we have. That's what we're seeing with our consumer data. And that's how we operate our business. We had the CEO of Instacart on this show, and I'll admit that I thought that GoPuff was kind of in the same category as sort of Instacart and DoorDash. But it turns out when I looked a little more that your model in some ways is closer to Amazon than it is to Instacart. You mentioned your fulfillment centers. Can you explain how your model is different than some of the other delivery businesses? It was always about vertical integration. We saw what it is when our parents started a business was controlling the customer experience from end to end. And making margins off products is really the way to win long-term. You mentioned Amazon. We have a lot of respect for what they've done. If you look at when Amazon went public versus eBay, a lot of people were asking the question to Amazon, why don't you just go the marketplace route? It's much easier to scale, get a lot more customers faster. You're all of a sudden available everywhere. And it was very much not obvious that vertical integration wins long term. But fast forward, Amazon invests $60 billion in infrastructure for their prime and e-commerce business. And we all know how it plays out. Consumers want things now. And that's where things are going. 
Next day is already too slow for some people. We're delivering to you in 20 to 30 minutes for an affordable price. And the way to do that, we believe, is through vertical integration. If you think about what we've been able to build over nine years is this network of 650 fulfillment centers across the U.S. and Europe, which we now cover close to 30% of the U.S. population. We now have all the technology to operate all these fulfillment centers, pack orders in 90 seconds. We just recently rolled out this technology we've been working on for the last year through one of our acquisitions where we're now automating the entire routing and dispatch processes in our fulfillment centers. The inventory management software that we built is all built in-house from us. There was no model like GoPuff, right? No one has done this before. So we had to build everything from scratch. 450 liquor licenses. We now happen to be one of the largest liquor license holders in the U.S. I can't even tell you the process to get these liquor licenses and what we've had to go through or just the logistics and operational excellence that we've had to build over the last nine years. So vertical integration is central to your business model. Vertical integration is really the way to have significant EBITDA and profit while also controlling the customer experience. We're not picking up from a local convenience store or grocery store. These are our fulfillment centers. So we're optimized to pack orders very, very quickly, very, very accurately. We're operating on a 99.9% inventory accuracy rate. So what you order is what you get. You're not getting phone calls from customer service representatives or in-store packers saying this item is out of stock or sorry for every item that you order, you need to choose a replacement item. I mean, that's an awful customer experience, right? And also the wide range of products that you can get from GoPuff, right? And it's your alcohol and your medicine and your pizza, right? Just the amount of products you can get on one platform in 20 minutes, right? Is a major differentiation for the customer. On the margin side, our margins don't come from service fees or monetizing the gig economy, right? Our margins come from our 45% product margin on the products that we buy directly from manufacturers and distributors at scale. And the margins continue to improve as you get more buyer power and more scale. As you describe this model, it's almost counterintuitive because it's like you're comparing Amazon and eBay, but it's like the thing that's harder is actually the thing that ends up being the better business. It just takes longer to get there. And maybe that's part of the competitive advantage that it's harder. This is a very, very hard business. This is not for everybody. You're managing inventory. You have a supply chain to manage. We have 15,000 employees. We have a whole driver network we build technology to operate these micro-fulfillment centers. We have a team of 100 people that are just focused on liquor license applications. There is a lot that goes into this business model, which is why it's been so important for us to stay focused. You have to be very, very focused on delivering an amazing customer experience and doing that through vertical integration is hard, but once you get it and you build it and you're able to scale it, it wins in the long term, you know, every day of the week. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. 
We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the (laughs) newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard from GoPuff co-CEO Yakir Gola about following an Amazon-like model specifically targeted to instant delivery. Now he talks about the advantages of being based in Philadelphia over Silicon Valley and how the pandemic changed the company's approach to the workplace and hiring. Plus, Yakir shares a key lesson he learned from a top Apple executive about continually raising the bar. Many of the most well-known on-demand companies, whether that's Uber or Airbnb, like their core assets are software, right? They enable others, but they don't have to operate or own a lot of stuff themselves. And I can imagine that when it comes to raising funding for expanding your business, that that might be a little bit more challenging. When we started the business, we didn't raise any capital. We built a business that is profitable from day one. We were cash flow positive for the first three years, and that was operating in six cities. So we took the profits from our most established markets, which was Philadelphia primarily at the time, and reinvested those into new markets. And all of a sudden, we started getting phone calls from the top venture capital firms, all their interns, you know, the interns at Penn and Harvard, right, were all using GoPuff. And they were telling all the firms in which they're working at, like, we have to follow this company. They're blowing up on all these campuses. We actually didn't announce our first four fundraises. Didn't do any media around it. We never needed capital. Never. And still don't. I think why we have been able to attract great long-term investors, whether it is Fidelity, Blackstone, Bally Gifford, SoftBank, you know, D1, is because the fiscal responsibility that's rooted into the DNA of our company and into us as operators, being a, a company that is growth-minded and profitability-minded at the same time. You built your business out of Philadelphia, which is not otherwise a hotbed of tech platforms. And I'm curious, what about that has made GoPuff different. What are the advantages to that? And I guess, are there disadvantages to not being part of an established tech hub? I would say Philadelphia has really been our first investor in many ways. They didn't contribute capital, but (laughs) they've really helped us scale the business and in a differentiated and scrappy way. What Philadelphia has given us is this underdog mentality. 
the fact that we've been away and sort of secluded in our own city, we haven't been in sort of the typical mentality of Silicon Valley founders and businesses. We didn't do it the Silicon Valley way. We did it the GoPuff way. Lean and scrappy has been part of the ethos of the company. The challenges that come with it is the recruiting talent in the earlier days when people weren't really familiar with GoPuff. Roth and I have always been these leaders that have only been in offices. You know, we're very much in-person operators and we didn't believe in, you know, work from home. It wasn't something that we agreed to for anybody. When the pandemic hit, we were the last one standing in the office. We had to shut down the office. And the company just really adapted into this flexible environment of working from home because we had to. And all of a sudden we started recruiting and other cities and started recruiting remote talent. And now we have these central hubs across the U.S. It now has positioned us, I think, for a lot of success, the fact that we started in Philadelphia. But that's kind of been our journey. But I would say it's definitely helped us. It's interesting, as you say it, that the pandemic's forcing you to work more remotely kind of opened the doors to bringing in talent in a different kind of way than the way you had operated before. Yeah, totally, totally. And we've had to adapt because if we wanted to hire the best talent in the world, we realized that we'd have to hire remote and also open up other central offices and hubs. And that's what we've done. That's essentially what we've done. So a bunch of companies that soared during the worst of the pandemic days, Peloton, Netflix, some others, they're seeing these resets. And we have seen some smaller delivery players go out of business recently. How do you keep tabs on the trajectory of your business if the recent past maybe isn't a reliable indicator of what the trajectory is? Everything we do is for the long term. Every investment we make is a long term investment. And we think about building this company in the terms of decades. And so there has been volatility in the market. There's no doubt about it. We try not to focus too much on that. And we try to really focus on our customers and delivering the absolute best customer experience, hands down. If you have a great customer experience, you're going to tell your friends. If you get what you ordered and you're impressed and you're happy and the order comes right and it comes on time and there's no mispacks and there's no out of stocks, right? And the driver's friendly, right? And so on and so forth, then you are going to come back. That's what we're seeing with all of our attention data. If someone tries GoPuff at least twice, their customers really for life. You know, they're really sticking with us. And that's how the best company is one of the long term. And so if the pace of growth slows down from what it had been. I know you had to cut back on some people recently, which is never easy. That's just sort of a bump in the road because you're looking further out. We're growing faster than any other delivery service right now. And obviously during the pandemic, we had months where we were growing 300, 400, 500%. But now you're still seeing significant growth on the platform. It's because of what we're selling and the fact that we're improving people's lives. And people want experiences, right? People are traveling more. They're going to restaurants more. They're also using GoPuff more because it's a great experience. 
what we've done in the pandemic was we introduced our baby product category. We introduced a grocery category. We introduced a household essentials category where now we have a huge selection of laundry detergent, shampoos, right? We launched a private label assortment of batteries and water and paper towels, which has really taken off. I will comment on what you said around the reorganization that we had. I think it's very healthy. I think as we were looking at the next chapter of growth for the company, we had to take a step back. We went from about 200 corporate employees, you know, roughly from early 2020 to 1,500 as of Q1 of this year. In a significant short period of time, what happens is you create inefficiencies in the organization. It just happens. It happens. And if people tell you that and they experience that level of growth that it doesn't happen, they're lying to you. Right. And so we're willing to make tough moves, even if it might seem contrary or controversial. We're not afraid to make tough calls. And so we were the first, I would say, you know, growth stage company that did a reorganization to right size the organization for the next chapter of growth. And now what are you seeing? Everybody else is doing it because it's smart. (laughs) Again, just the way we think about our business is thinking about profitability first, we think in the long term, and we focus on our customers. It's going to allow us to operate better, more streamlined. In the focus on the customers, you said something earlier about you're not going back to the store. When the CEO of Instacart was on here, she was actively positioning the business as like a partner to traditional groceries. And I'm curious for you guys, like, who are your competitors? Like, are your competitors grocery stores, convenience stores, Amazon, Walmart. Like, I mean, I could see something where like, oh my gosh, everyone around you is a competitor. The first competitor we have is ourselves. That's the first competitor we have. We have other secondary competitors, which are some of the names that you mentioned. What I can tell you, it's on us and our execution. Anyone could be a future competitor for us. And there are people that are trying. I can't sit here and tell you, hey, we don't have competition or we're never going to have competition because that's not true. But I can tell you that we know instant better than anybody else. We wake up in the morning and that's all that we do. We are relentless. (laughs) We are maniacally focused on winning in this category. This is where the world is going. And so we welcome competition. And I think competition is healthy. I just don't think there's anybody that is anywhere close to where we are in instant needs. I mean, there's an irony as I'm listening to you that the kind of small business that your parents ran, the kind of small business that might be in the grocery or convenience business, they got to look at a GoPuff and be afraid that a business that can do what you guys do instantly, simply, quickly is going to make a lot harder for that small business to stay in business. During the pandemic, we saw a big opportunity to actually partner with small businesses, small business owners, entrepreneurs, because that's where we came from. And so it started off with partnering with a local donut shop in Philadelphia. They were shutting their doors in the pandemic. They couldn't afford the rent and the payroll of employees. And we said, why don't we just try selling your local donuts and products on GoPuff. It's not something we've done before, but let's give it a try. Someone on our team led the initiative, we call it like the local initiative, and it turned out to be a massive success where now if you go on our platform across all major markets, we have a local category where we partner with 
entrepreneurs, local small businesses, owners and entrepreneurs, where we're actually selling their products on our platform. We're buying it from them at wholesale. So we're giving them immediate access in distribution and advertising and eyeballs on our platform. And we're all about partnering with the community and businesses. In some markets, it's actually some of our biggest sellers on the app. And now we also see an opportunity to take the local popular item in Austin and bring it to Los Angeles or Phoenix, Arizona. There's a big opportunity to expand and accelerate these local entrepreneurs' businesses. And we want to be able to use our platform to actually help and give back. So when there was a tornado in Kentucky, we have a big presence in Kentucky. We own the largest liquor chain over there called Liquor Barn. We leveraged our platform to help. We were the first ones in terms of delivering supplies to all community members. Or when there was the building collapse in Miami in Surfside, we said, we're going to leverage our GoPuff delivery arm and logistics to deliver food and drinks to the frontline workers that were working 24-7 to try to find bodies. We were the first company to deliver COVID tests. We partnered with many governors nationwide to figure out how can we get COVID tests to consumers in 20 minutes. I'm proud of the work we did there. And so it's how do we take our platform of GoPuff and help local businesses, small businesses, communities in need. And I'm, I'm proud of the work we're doing. I, I still think we have a lot more to do. I'm not happy with what we've done yet there. I still think there's a long way to go for us there, but I think it's important for us to step up. You said several times that it's early days, that you're not happy, that you're not there yet. Are you always hard on yourself about how much you've done or what needs to be done next? Look, I tell our team all the time, you know, that you can't be satisfied. You have to keep increasing the bar of excellence. Steve Jobs is a perfect example, right? This mentality that you need to continue to increase your bar of excellence. You can't get comfortable. The moment you get comfortable or you stop innovating, you're going to end up like Blockbuster. That's what we tell our team. And I had a meeting with uh, Apple executive Eddie Q and we were sitting and talking and I asked him, you know, Apple's such a massive company and breaking records in terms of market cap for any company. How do you keep everybody so motivated when Apple's such a massive company? And he just brought up this mentality that he had and I think Steve Jobs really had it where you have to keep innovating or you're dead. And having that mentality, I think, is so, so important for any company or entrepreneur because the moment you think you made it is the moment you start failing. And that's the mentality that we have. That's what drives our leadership team and our company to keep working hard, keep out executing everybody else and continue to deliver for our customers. Well, Yakir, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing this and sharing with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to connect with you today and really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. And now a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, 
Her inbox was overflowing, and the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans, and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we had stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. The show is recorded remotely using sanitized audio gear. I'm your Rapid Response host, Bob Safian. Host for Masters of Scale is Reed Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Our producers are Jordan McLeod, Christina Gonzalez, and Marie McCoy-Thompson. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Daniel Nissenbaum and the Holiday Brothers. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Emily McManus, Sarah Sandman, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Charlie Manessis, Adam Heiner, Anna Pizzino, Ben Richardson, Mina Kurosawa, Saida Safieva, and Colin Howard. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode and be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter.